This is Michael Easley in Context. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Rachel Cruz is the author of Smart Money, Smart Kids, and a financial expert. You're an expert. An expert. I don't know if you would call me that, I, but I, I guess like you that. can. I like that. <laughs> Rachel is the daughter of Dave Ramsey, where she learned how to handle money from a very early age on in the Ramsey household. Uh, she's joined Lampo in 2010, and since that time, she travels constantly. Sometimes, Sometimes. yes. Sometimes. Speaking in colleges, churches, conferences, trying to educate students and young adults on the danger of debt, how to budget money, and save for their future. Already a veteran communicator, Rachel has spoken to audiences as large as 10,000 since the age of 15 when she started making appearances with Dave Ramsey as part of the Total Money Makeover live events. She also teaches foundations in the personal finance curriculum geared towards high school and college students. Earned her Bachelor of Science degree in communications from the University of... Tennessee. Go Vols. Go Vols. Thank you, Michael. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel Cruz, one word, at Rachel Cruz, C-R-U-Z-E. Rachel, thanks for coming by today. Thank you. What an intro. It's great to have you here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, first of all, let's start out with the questions everybody wants to know. Growing up in the Ramsey household, did you have to have a budget as a kid? Did I have to budget? I think that's one thought process a lot of people have when it comes to me. Like when they hear I'm Dave Ramsey's daughter, they assume that we had mutual fund parties, you know, and like budget meetings (laughs) all the time. I'm talking about like three goldfish bowls or three (laughs) envelopes. Come on. Yeah. So mom and dad, I mean, they taught us about money in a very simplistic way. And so I think a lot of people think it was all we talked about was money and that's not the case. Uh, But yeah, but yeah, we, I mean, growing up as a kid. You weren't given anything you wanted. You had to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So concepts like money comes from work. Money doesn't come from mom and dad's back pocket. We're taught very early. Uh, You give, save, and spend. You know, really the the, the, the basic things, Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, And as we got older, the more responsibility we were handed with our own money, which was Mm -hmm. great because we learned consequences of our choices and we learned the rewards of that as well. So, so, you know, mom and dad, they did a great job in just really integrating real world life with our finances. So it was never this like this, this, but you know, this summit money summit on the weekends or anything like that. Did you, do you remember like a big mistake you made with money when you were young? Oh yes. Consequences. Yeah, I mean, my infamous Ramsey kid story. I was 15, and, and when you turn 15 in the Ramsey house, you're given your own checking account. So mom and dad would put the amount of money they would normally spend on us into this account, and so we were in charge to budget it. Uh, and so if there were school fees, if we were going out with friends, you know, as we got older, if we wanted gas for our car, it came out of this account. And if we wanted more money, we had to go get a job. So, so I was in charge of this account at 15, and so I did not do the budget, you know, I, what I should have done. Uh, and so I ended up bouncing three checks out of that account, like the first three months that that I got this checking account. And and so dad, I remember handing him the letter and showing him from the bank, you know, that I had done this. They sent me a letter. And so he made me go down to the bank and personally apologize to the executive. You're 15? Bank branch manager. Oh, yes. Sharon Ramsey had to take me. Get out. Because I didn't have my driver's right. license. I was 15. So she had to, she dropped me off. So I had to go into this old man's office in I this bank it. in Brentwood, Tennessee, I love it. and apologize for lying because I told him I had money in his bank to spend and I didn't. 
And that is, quote unquote, a lie, according to Dave Ramsey. So at 15, yeah, went down. Of course, the banker was like, you know, did your dad make you come down here and say this to me? And I just cried. I was like, it's child abuse. Yes, he did. It's just horrible. But uh, I've moved on. So how many checks did you bounce after that? Uh, And that's the moral of the story. I have not bounced a check since. Mm -hmm. So I learned my lesson. Very traumatic in a very traumatic way. But, but, you know, I mean, people would hear that and they think it's probably kind of extreme. But really, for a 15-year-old, I'm like, I'm glad I learned that at 15 and not 25. You know, walking through those emotions that you you did not do what you said Mm -hmm. you were going to do. And so. How many of your peer growing up? And it, it University of Tennessee uh, went to college without debt, didn't have debt, weren't spending money they didn't have. Very few, Very few. I would say, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think it's gotten much worse since I was in college. Sure. Um, but but in your growing up years, I mean, and that's you know one of the things we have instilled, in, well, we try to instill in mm-hmm. our kids too, is you don't carry debt. You know, we we grew up before your dad was doing what he's doing, and so we were learning these differently, but it was the same thing. You know, you don't borrow money you don't have, you don't buy things you don't need or can't afford, and that that's old school. That's the way we were raised. Sure. But ironically, you find today, it seems like young adults, it's just a grand assumption, Rachel, that we're going to haul all this debt along all of our lives. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Americans have believed this lie that you can't live life without debt, and you look at this generation coming up, my generation even, and even, you know, I look at college students and teenagers now, and I'm like, they're living in an instant gratification world. And through the avenue of debt, you can have anything you want when you want it. And it's not only instant gratification, it's a sense of entitlement. Yes, absolutely. I have to have I deserve that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's that emotion wrapped in, which a lot of parents, it's an uphill battle for parents, you know, to, to teach your child how not to be entitled because... I mean, today that's what they're seeing, and it's and this is a totally different generation. I mean, I think because of social media, because of what kind of things are on TV now. I mean, these pictures of what life is supposed to look like are constant in front of your kids. I mean, everyone puts their best foot forward on social media, so they're seeing the best trips their friends are going on, the kind of houses they live in. So they expect life to be like that. Mm-hmm. Or Christmas, you know, as everyone puts on Facebook what they got for Christmas. And I see grown women, you know, these 50-year-old women on Facebook put, like, what their husband bought them with all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's just crazy. So there's just so many messages that are being thrown at this culture that, you know, it's hard to combat them if you're not ready. I try to differentiate between consumerism and materialism and consumption and material goods that, you know, we need, we have to replace things. We have to, you know, buy clothes and cars and so forth. Uh, and there's, so there is a consumption, but consumerism and materialism being this idea that we, we can't stop. So the next computer comes out, we've got to upgrade the next phone. We must upgrade. Um, I'm sure you see that when you talk to these young adults. Oh yeah, absolutely. What do you I mean- tell them? Because you want the next, I, I tell them what mom and dad taught me. They said, it's okay to have some nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. And I think your stuff can have you through the avenue of debt, the borrower slave to the lender. You don't own your stuff. It owns you at that point when you go into debt for that. And your identity, as long as your identity is not wrapped up, which is a hard thing to confine, you know, to, to define. But I think when, you, when you're on this, this peak of, well, I'll be happy when, if I could just have that, everything will be better. You know, when that starts to become your definition of life, that's where stuff can be dangerous, mm-hmm. in my opinion. We have a young adults ministry at Fellowship, and I was uh, struck by the number of grad students who've racked up ninety-five, $100,000 in debt. Talked to one young woman, smart, uh, doing an advanced degree in a field, and that field will pay her well. But also knowing what her income is going to be in her debt, it was over $135,000 she had racked up. And I said, how do you rack up that kind of, oh, well, you can borrow for your rent. You can borrow, I mean, you're kidding me. 
You oh, work yeah. a part-time job. Well, I couldn't work. Well, sure, I did. I worked two part-time jobs. Um, so, yeah. so the cultural mindset has changed. But what strikes me, Rachel, is they aren't even concerned yes. about that debt. I'd be terrified if I had debt like that looming over me. Well, what's your take on why people aren't immobilized by it or afraid of it? Well, I think as the consequences come later, I think that they start to feel the weight, the regrets as the bills start coming in and they start wanting to move on with their life, but their choices in their past are still keeping up with them. So as they get married, as they want to start you know, buying a home, as they want to start raising a family. So, so you do see some regrets at that stage? Oh, 100%. Okay. I mean, I don't, okay. yeah, a majority of, now these are adults after that. I mean, this is this is age probably, I mean, you can't put an age on it, but what, 28? Post-college, post-grad yes, school, yes. a couple of years in the real world. Absolutely, okay. because they start to see that sometimes even their degree does not match up. Yeah. They don't even use their degree half the time time. You know, they go into a different field of, of work that, that the degree that they went $90,000 in, you know, wasn't worth it. And the worst is really the undergrad degrees. Like these, some of these colleges I travel to, I mean, it's just insane, you know, talking to one guy, $90,000 in debt for an undergrad degree in English. Yeah, oh, I was going to say, Do you know what I'm like? Arts. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and then he wants to go be a missionary, you know, and, <laughs> and, and it's, these, yeah, it's these kind of stories. And it's just, it's heartbreaking because debt, it steals your options from you. It steals your choices in life. And so the sad thing is, is that we've accepted it as a way of life. And this, this generation is rising up in financial bondage. They're, they're not all able to go do what they want to do. And not that everything is going to be a dream and you graduate and you're supposed to go find your passion and yeah. make tons of money. I mean, that's not everyone's story and it takes a lot of hard work to get to that point. But the point being, they are trapped in jobs that they don't want to be in. I mean, they, or they can't find a job to pay the bills. I mean, it's just, it's become a disaster. I mean, $1.2 trillion My word. is owed in, in student loan debt. Smart money, smart kids. You and your dad uh, put this book together in a pretty quick turnaround. Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, give us some highlights. Give us some, oh, why in the world would I buy a book that says smart money, smart kids, Rachel? Sure. Well, this book is geared for parents on everything, how to teach your kids how to handle money. Rachel, what, so when we talk about smart kids, what are your, what's your age target? Sure. Well, we talk about, you know, uh, teaching your kids as young as four years old, which sounds very young, but it's doable. Uh, and then we talk about to even adult children as well. But when your kids are still under your roof and they're still financially dependent upon you, I mean, so, you know, those those elementary school, middle school, high school, college days are the best time because, you, you know, you're the parent still in that case. When your right. kids are grown and they're adults, they're living on their own, it's a little bit harder uh, to teach them some life lessons, but it's still doable. So we talk about that as well. But it's really geared for, uh, again, ages probably four all the way up to 24. Um, if you were to distill uh, some of the principles, uh, the main message or work ethic, save ethic. What are some of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, working, giving, giving, saving, spending, uh, debts, how to go to college debt free is a whole chapter budgeting. Uh, we talk about wedding planning. I mean, do, so do you find parents that don't believe a kid can go to school apart from debt. Yes. Oh yes. And I think that's probably the issue with this, this crisis of student loan debt is parents believe that that's the only way, you know, guidance counselors and high schools believe that's the only way. Uh, I mean, you get a sector that say, you know, no, you're not going to school without debt, but I think it's, it's very enlightening because it's just, I mean, it's common sense, Michael. I mean, it, you know, when you read this book, you're not going to be like, that was so intimidating. I have no idea right. what to do with this. I have I mean, to know how to do Excel charts. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I funds. mean, it's, you know, especially around debt. I mean, you know, you, with student loans, you stay in, stay in state if you can't afford to go out of state. And, and the big thing with this is that parents, uh, especially the student loan issue, parents 
need to grow a backbone in this area because they're not loving their children well as they're letting them sign their lives away at 18 years old. When you go to a campus um, and talk to students, it's kind of late in the game for many of them. They might be, maybe if they're even a sophomore, now they're already two years in debt. What do you tell them as a course correction? Yeah, well, I'll say, you know, ideally I'd rather you graduate with $12,000 in debt versus $35,000 in debt. So wherever you are in the process, uh, it's ideal to just stop where you are. Uh, and then it's kind of awkward because obviously the school of their choice, you know, it could be a private school that they can't afford to go to, you know, if with my with my instructions. So I'm very politically correct as I instruct them. Um, but really telling them to, to look and make hard decisions. I mean, maybe it is a school that you just simply can't afford and to transfer. And that may put you back a semester. That may even put you back a year. But you could save 12 grand by doing that because of what you're paying. Uh, working, if the average college student works 20 hours a week they can pay their way through an in-state school. Hmm. And I tell parents that all the time. If, if your kids work, I mean, your generation, you guys, that, that wasn't even a question to work while in school. Everyone worked when they were in school. Exactly. Yeah. And this generation, they don't. And so, you know, parents, you know, are like, well, little Johnny, you know, he needs to sleep yeah. 10 hours a night and he goes to class 15 well, and, hours and, and he's in got, the library. And, and you've got uh, sports. These kids are going and they're, you know, they're involved in sports. I, mean, I had a daughter who was very athletic. She had two a days. Yeah. She had a six in the morning before school and then after school. She'd come home at dark. And it was a season where we said, you know, this child can't work. We, we, we were, you know, probably worse than your folks. We made our kids, I made our kids get a part-time job in high school. Yes. I said, you will have a part-time job. Yes. If you drive a car, these are the conditions and you will put gas in the car. I will not put gas in the car for you. Now they hated me for it. And the two older ones who were 25 and 30, yeah. they'll come back and bless me today. Thank sure. you so much for that. The other two haven't quite gotten there yet. <laughs> They're a little <laughs> they on the will, young side. In time, God willing, in time. But but again, it was, even for us, Rachel, we were not only unpopular, we were very rare in the confines of the high school system. And that's why I asked you earlier, because uh, Hannah, our oldest, went to college in, in grad school. She got a full ride for her master's. She's that kid. And um, they gave her a stipend. And I asked her, I said, how many of your peer, A, have no debt, and B, put anything in the plate when they go to church. Mm. And she said, Dad, I don't know anybody who's not here on college loans. And, and she might be putting five bucks in the plate. But we sure. taught her, give a little, sure. give a little. And she said, and nobody puts anything in the plate. No. And it was just striking to me. And that's, you know, she's 30 years old. Yeah. She's older than you. Yeah. And it was just, this is such a tectonic shift in the way the culture thinks. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's damaging. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that these these common sense, old fashioned principles, I mean, that's what America was built on in a sense. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's amazing this idea of, of you work and that's where money comes from. And, and you take that money and you're wise with it and you only spend the money you have. I mean, these are things that, you know, it's not rocket science, but, but this generation, it has, it's lost its way. So with smart money, smart kids, I mean, really trying to help parents because a lot of parents, they want to help their kids, right. but they either feel like they, they don't have uh, the tools to do it, they have no idea where to start, or they feel shame and guilt with their own financial situation saying, we took out loans for school, we're still paying back student loans and yes. we're 35, we're living paycheck to paycheck, how in the world am I supposed to teach my kids yes. this if we've messed up so badly? So so really walking parents through all of those those issues, you know, and, and my encouragement to parents too is, you know, you're not going to be a perfect parent, you're not a perfect parent in any part of parenting. 
but that doesn't you don't lose your right to parent because you've made mm-hmm. mistakes in this area. And so, uh, so getting your finances back on track as a parent speaks volumes because more is caught than taught. Your mm-hmm. kids are watching you, and so that's what's important and a huge message in this book. Now, you and I both live in a very different context. We've done well. You know, Cindy and I have done well in God's great kindness. And I always tell people, you know, we didn't do well because we made a lot of money. We did well because we lived under our income. We avoided debt. We gave first. We've always gave first. And we saved a little. And over 34 years of marriage, we can look back and go, you know, we're not rich by other standards. We're rich by my bandwidth of chosen profession and what we can do. And the freedom that we have is extraordinary. And I go, it wasn't that hard. That said, you probably see it in, in church ministries. Pastors are just as bad as the average you know, American. Help that parent who's feeling shame and guilt or maybe the assumption it's going to always be this way. Sure. Well, my first piece of advice would be that you have to be intentional. And so whether that's being intentional uh, with budgeting, saving, giving, spending, whatever you're doing, you have got to be on a plan. And so first, living on a budget. I don't want to make a budget. I don't like budgets. Budgets scare me. I I mean, they're so restricting. People, it's like, you know... they think living on a budget, you have to like live in a cave and only come out, you know, on Tuesdays to spend money. I mean, you know, it's, it's this idea, but really a budget is just telling your money what to do instead of wondering where it went. And you recommend starting out like we were taught three months, keep every receipt you've ever used for three months. And then you start building the budget. Where did it go? And then what can I control and change so that I can now send my money where it needs to go? Yeah. And now, I mean, everything's done basically online banking. So just look back on your three months and see where you swipe the credit card or the debit card and see and, and kind of get an, an estimate, see, if I'm you will. Guy. <laughs> yeah, you I, sound I like my receipts. dad. Dad's <laughs> always like checkbooks. I'm like, dad, no one uses checkbooks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but going back and, and yeah, and seeing what your expenses were. And so for the month coming up before the month begins, write it down and write down everything you're going to spend your money on. All right. Let's talk a little bit about budget. You, you hang around college students, young adults. Where are they spending their money? Netflix, phones? Where, where are they spending the money that maybe they can trim? Food is a big food. Yes. Yeah. That's the most spontaneous. You know, they all go out with friends that food is where you can cut a lot of money. Going out to eat is expensive. And I love going out to eat. That's like one of my favorite things to do. So budgeting is key, you know, being in control with that. And then getting out of debt, that's going to be a huge thing. You know, it takes the average family 18 to 24 months to do that process. And so let's talk about that because most, most people look at their debt and they go, there's no way I could do that in two years, Rachel. I know. Well, when you look at the numbers or, or not even look at the numbers. Not, people don't even know what they have, honestly. So when you think of this idea of being debt-free, it's just this elusive thought where you're like, there's just absolutely no way. But it's amazing when you put it down on paper, you write out exactly what you have. And as you and we teach the debt snowball, where you list your debt smallest to largest, and you pay off the smallest amount of debt And that's a psychological first. thing, right? Not, yes. a, not a financial guru thing. That's a psychological thing. Right. Instead of the highest interest rate, which is like mathematically correct, right? When you pay off that smallest debt first, it's motivation. I got a little I mean, win here. Yes. And so that's how people end up paying off debt faster, I believe, is because they go through this process and they start to feel hope for the mm-hmm. first time. And as you start doing it, it's amazing what you'll sacrifice, the extra jobs you'll take on, do anything as you get the snowball rolling. And so that's why we find, you know, people here two years and people, the average family is debt free. I mean, that's crazy. But but when you taste that little bit of hope for the first time in a long time when it comes to your money, it's, it's addicting. In a we sense. had a uh, young couple in the church that wanted to adopt. She works at the university. He's a musician. So his money is maybe this, maybe not. And um, of all things, on an eight and a half by 11 on the refrigerator, and they put, you know, the total debt. And every time they paid off something, they 
put a new balance line. And uh, fast forward, he lost his job. Mm. And they were like, wow, look at what we accomplished before I lost the, the writing job I had. And then somebody sent them some money. It was like a relative passed away. And they threw it all toward the debt. And they had this piece of paper. They brought it to church as an illustration and showed us. And it was just striking to see, you know, God honored mm. their decision to say, let's be obedient, their language, and get out of debt. And then fast forward, their goal was to adopt. And uh, it was amazing. Once they put it on paper, Rachel, and put it in front of them every time, because you go to the refrigerator 10 times a day, right? Looking for something. And it was like, that's in front of me. And uh, the woman said, it was like a diet. It stared me in the face. And I said, I've got to stay on my diet. And for them, it was about 15 months. And they got rid of all their student loans and were able to adopt a child. Mm, Not amazing. Now, I just said that people don't believe it. They don't sure. believe you can do that. Sure. Help them out. Because they've lost hope. And so, you know, I mean, if you if you enjoy the situation you're in, then just keep doing it. But most <laughs> people don't. So change it. You know, do, try something different. And if it doesn't work, if you don't enjoy paying off credit card debt, you know, then you can go back into it. It's very easy to go back into debt if you really want to go back in. <laughs> uh, but I would say, you know, trying something different. And I think for... And debt is not, you know, I, I we're harping on the subject a lot, but it, it is not a sin. It's not a salvation issue. This is well. Now, some would say, you know, debt is a sin. They would say, you know, right? Some would. Okay. I would probably argue no. Okay. I I don't think so. I don't. I, I from what I've seen in scripture, I have not seen it as as a sin. Uh, but I do believe that it's unwise, and okay. nothing good is said about debt in Scripture. Every time debt okay. is mentioned, it is in a negative fashion. I want to say all that as a foundation to say, you know, don't feel like you've lost your salvation because you've got you have a credit card or something. You know, that's a different theological. <laughs> We're not losing <laughs> yeah. salvation around here. That's okay. right. That's right. <laughs> but for a parent, you know, I would say it is mathematically and financially wise to be debt free. But I think it's also for the legacy you pass on to your kids, the example you're setting from them in the household. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's such a that was such a blessing for me growing up in a house where where I learned how to live without debts. That was such a gift my parents gave me. Some haven't heard the story about the Ramsey kids and their cars. So how did you get your first car? Yeah, we uh, when you turned 16, Dad had a plan, the 401 Dave plan is what he called it. Uh, so whatever money we saved, he would match us. And so it was 401 Dave. And my sister is two and a half years older than me. And so I think most people can appreciate, you know, as the middle child, I didn't truly believe that they would follow through with this. And, and watching Denise as she turned 16, kind of standing in the background thinking, you know, are they really going to follow through with what they promised? And sure enough, they did, you know, because in my head, I was like, you know, my parents, they're generous people. And as I recall, and as <laughs> I recall, Denise saved a lot of money, right, for her yeah, car. Denise yeah, Denise saved, I think, <laughs> six lot. grand. Mm-hmm. And so I became competitive in that moment at 14. And so I saved eight grand. So mm-hmm. I got a $16,000 car. And they should have put a cap on it because Daniel, who's four years younger than me, had a head start. And so I think he saved, I, I don't even know what he saved. <laughs> he saved some, I think he saved, honestly, I think almost 12 grand. To the point where dad said, we're not buying you a $24,000 car <laughs> Not 16. when you're 16. Yeah, not, we can't, not I'm smart. sorry. Yeah, we can't yeah. do this. We should have put a cap on it. Right. But, but for us, you know, that was such a great exercise because as teenagers, we learned sacrifice. I mean, I remember standing at the mall and thinking, if I buy this shirt for $20, that's $40 less going to my mm-hmm. car at 16. I mean, it changes the way you think. Uh, and, and when you sit in that car and you drive it, you know, you drive it differently than my, fr- you know, than my friends who were oh, just handed yeah. cars. Yeah. And so going through that process, yes. And so there, there is a sense of, of 
you know, setting a goal, accomplishing it, a sense of good pride of this idea that, you know, I did this. And I taking can't believe care I did of it. this. Yes, absolutely. You're not going to disabuse it. You give a 16 year old a car for their license and their, their birthday and they're going to ding There's it up, no, they're yeah. going to bang it up, not going to check the There's oil. There's no sacrifice involved with that. before long, it's like, well, I didn't pay for it. Yes. So yeah, 401 Dave. It I was love it. it was a good <laughs> a good theory which became a reality, I <laughs> which I was not happy about, but one thing that you um, wish parents would get, one thing that you wish college students would get facing debt. For parents, I would say going back to their own story because I see a lot of parents and and the hopelessness that they have in their situation. So I would say to parents that it's not hopeless wherever you are. Uh, some may have more drastic measures than others that you'll have to take to become debt-free, but but it is possible to live debt-free for those parents. And then I'd say for the college student, the sooner you get this, the better off you're going to be financially. I mean, mathematically speaking, that's the truth. So the sooner you can get this message and you can get ingrained in this absolute in your life that you draw a line in the sand and you say, enough is enough. I'm not going into debt no matter what. And it's going to look hard. It's going to be a lot of sacrifice. But it is so possible. And so I would just say, gosh, the earlier you can do that, the better off you're going to be. Rachel Cruz, author of Smart Money, Smart Kids. Thanks for being on In Context.